And so the thing is intuition, heuristics, leanings, don't fault them. They will save your life. The question that I spend is, how do you train to get the most efficient heuristics? And how can you recognize when your heuristics are potentially leading you astray or when your heuristics are potentially causing you to dismiss something? It's something that's out there. And so, Greg, you hit on it. There is a, a, a learning that occurs in the practice compared to a learning that occurs. And I think what has happened so much is we have the ivory tower stereotype academic that is theoretical. We have the Neanderthal knuckle dragger. And I love Welcome to the Left of Greg podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I'm Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking ability through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check the episode details. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. Today, we are joined by an incredibly insightful and highly experienced subject matter expert by the name of Dr. John Black to talk about complexity and decision-making. Dr. Black has an impressive career that includes several decades in both law enforcement and military special operations, and he's a subject matter expert in a number of areas, including training, decision-making, data visualization, information processing, and he is a nationally recognized expert witness on police use of force. During the episode, we talk about a number of factors that influence human perception, including heuristics, attention, memory, and language. We also discuss measurement and assessment, systems thinking, and objective truths. I highly suggest checking out the links in the episode details where you can find out more about John and you can reach out and connect with him on LinkedIn. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find the links in this episode details. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends about it. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the show. Say, Doctor Doctor John Black. Go ahead, Chad. So much for coming on the show. For everyone uh, uh, tuning in, we uh, I had to hurry up and hit the record button because we jumped right into the conversation. All magic. So five I'm, minutes of magic. I'm super excited to to have you on, uh, John. So I know the listeners heard like a, a little short kind of intro on you, but I'd love to uh, give a little bit of background um um on yourself and what you're doing and then uh i want to jump i'm going to throw right your own words at you from your website that i loved and and kind of start the conversation from there of course you are <laughs> nothing better than to have your own th words thrown back at you that you don't remember saying so first of all um i'm just really glad to be here um for you guys that have talked to me before i'm all about conversations i believe sort of my premise is that the question creates a conversation, the conversation creates change. And that's in a nutshell. And if you think about it, all the, the changes over time, some of them, they all had to start somewhere with a question like, what the hell are we doing? Or, hey, you ever wonder if it might be like this? And the question, someone had to listen like, well, that's interesting. Let's have a conversation. And this is not to uh, be over gratuitous to you guys. You guys are having the right conversations. Well, so, you can anybody, well, just just so you know, Doc, you can never be over gratuitous to us, <laughs> and specifically me. So say that one more time, but you know, right, put a little right. more emphasis if it, on. Yeah, if you can say it a little bit louder, looking exactly. directly into the camera. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact That's is, hilarious. you guys are having the right conversations, and so to answer your question about what is uh, I'm doing, 
I spend a lot of my time trying to have conversations where people, police, military, and other things don't normally have conversations. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, I speak a lot. And so um, some places I speak with cops, I'll be speaking at the NTOA conference. And I'm doing a workshop on this, thinking about our thinking. I'll be speaking on, I just finished my postdoctoral master's in psychology. The, The short answer is I got tired of judges saying that cops can't talk about thinking because they're not academic. And it's like, come on, guys. And so I went and got that done. And then um, I'll be presenting the uh, outcome of that, which was actually um, done based on data that a four science study had done. And I'm I'm amazingly grateful to Bill and his crew. I work with them all the time with Dr. Lewinsky and Vaughn and and everybody else, because we took a look at how cognitive interviewing, specifically this idea of reducing it and taking the human out of the loop and my thesis basically found out that it really doesn't work it the way we thought it would or should it be. So where is it that I come from? I have these conversations, American Evaluators Association, Society of Decision Professionals, all of these little places, Society for Advanced Management. The Society for Advanced Management is the oldest society in management, and management is about making the right decisions at the right time. Right. In the world, it used to be called the Taylorist Society to give you an idea of where it came from. Well, as I go to all these things, I find out there's no cops there. There's no prior cops there. And we're not having. And yet all of this research, all of these guys thinking about thinking, all these people screaming about police reform, the same ignorance, the same. And I don't mean ignorance in a demeaning way. Mm-hmm. I mean, ignorance as in simply to be unaware of something. Right. And then these same things, these, the, where are these conversations? Well, there's no one there. So I spend a lot of time. So where do I come from? I did 30 plus years in special operations. I retired as a sergeant major from the United States uh, Army. I was an instructor. I was a door kicker. I was all those other kind of things. I hold seven different MOSs, military occupational specialties. Uh, towards the end of my career, I actually had to be granted general officer exception for the amount of uh, skill sets that I had. Uh, because they don't normally want to have you cross-trained. But in my case, I was the guy that got brought in to the intersection of all these things, specifically psychological operations, civil affairs, and special ops. In the police world, um, I did 23-plus years at an agency, uh, Washington County Sheriff's Office, great agency, a large agency in the state of Oregon. And I went through everything, all divisions, corrections and patrol and the whole nine yards and up to command rank. And I act and I was actually the overseer of training and developed programs and uh, human rights, all, all the uh, built the mental health teams that lined up with, you know, you had a right seat, left seat of these type of things. So I dealt with that. And through all of these things that I've done and all these different things, I saw the commonality. Mm-hmm. It was humans trying to make sense of really strange things that very often had never been seen before in their life and trying to do the best they could. And then as we're watching it cascade nowadays, it's so easy to look at something after the fact, the outcome, and say, well, obviously you should have done this. You would have done that. We know what I would have done or we could have done. And I like, guys, we got to stop this, man. We just got, this isn't helping anybody. No. So then I went and got my doctorate degree and um, uh, in business, specifically looking at visualization decision making. My first master's was in counterterrorism, homeland defense, my doctorates in that, in uh, business, specifically business intelligence into decisions. And then my postdoc master's is in psychology. 
So go for it. Well, so that's here, here's the, the thing. Yeah. Okay. You're underqualified, obviously. Yeah. And that's well, why, you know, we made the exception to have John, you on. I thought it was the music yeah. star. No, listen, you're the right <laughs> yeah. guy at the right time for everybody to tune in and listen to. And I'll throw this out there at you. The, the huge problem is that people uh, cannot look at police and think also in the academic world. So they don't think that because you're a chief or a trainer or anybody else, they think it's all door booting, car ramming and and chasing people down. And they don't. And for example, uh, the limits of the law. I love eating up defense attorneys that are unprepared because I understand the law. I mean, I understand from constitutional law to local or statutes or ridiculous cases that I can cite. Uh, to throw people off. They spent, the government spent uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars checking out uh, the programs that I built to make sure they were academically sound. Why? Because when we showed up, and I know it's the same way as you, John, when I showed up and they go, yeah, the SME bin is over there, uh, go in there. There's a couple of cops that are already in there. I would walk in and there'd be a Neanderthal. And the Neanderthal had 35 years on the road in an in, in agency, Pennsylvania, Miami, New York, it didn't matter where. And he would grunt, you know, to, to facial scars. And then when they would go to him, he would go, yeah, that's right. Or no, that's wrong. That was horseshit. There was no <laughs> thought behind it. There was no pedigree. There was no connecting the dots. And so we would be in the room and we would always be under service. Uh, uh, we'd always be underutilized. And then the things came out was, well, the cops liked it. And I saw the same thing happen uh, when we built Combat Hunter for the Marine Corps. They, they would say, well, you know, the private liked it. <laughs> of course, the private liked it because he's not washing dishes or, you know, peeling potatoes. But but my thing is, will it stand up? Uh, uh, in front of a jury? Will it withstand uh, the challenges of a bench trial? You know, and and you do that. That's exactly yeah. what you do. Your uh, test market isn't just a one-sided blog on some social media. You get up there and testify to what you say that it is the truth. And that's an amazing standard. And I think I want to make sure that our listeners understand exactly what part of that that you do. Yeah. And, um, you know, right away, uh, the the things I appreciate about you, John, is, is, you know, you've got the the academic side, obviously, yep. with multiple degrees, and then the tacit knowledge, the street experience from all of those. And and when, Precisely. to me, in my opinion, when you combine those things together, that's that's where the magic happens, because you can really right. understand at both levels. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show. And then for those listening, I'm probably going to do the least amount of talking today. Uh, right away, before I hit record, John comes right on and says, hey, your beard is the wrong color because it's not <laughs> a sage gray beard like the other two gentlemen on this call. So I, I have to respect a guy that walks right onto my podcast and tells me to shut up. And uh, you know what I mean? I, I got to go. Get in line. Uh, right, right. Oh, well, like, <laughs> hey, Brian, let's hold up here. I didn't say it was the wrong color. Now, now th- let's use that as a, as a next landing okay. pad for the yeah. next question. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Actually, I, I correct myself. Think about this. The yeah. very nature of that yes. is you've already taken the interpretation of what you've heard, and we've attached a judgment to it wrong. And again, we're going to play with this. Yes. Yep. What I said, it's not at the it's not at the correct color yet. Yes. That and which is a which is an important distinction, which is going to lead into the ah, conversation, which I even pointed right. out. But then look, look how I stored it in my memory. I said you. I, I immediately you created this story of you came out fundamental my show attribution and. Booted right? me and exactly. said, "said you can't do this." And meanwhile, you just said, "Well, your beard's not the this. right color yet." So we got three guys on here. All of them are aware of fundamental attribution error. Mm-hmm. All of them are aware. And again, I don't even like the word. I, I lean more with, um, I like with Klein, with Dr. Klein, and, and, and Snowden. 
bias and, and think uh, Kahneman, Tversky. And for those that don't know, I'm an, I'm an expert witness and actually recognized internationally. And I speak on these type of concepts as well. Yep. But these are simply being human. Let's use the word heuristics or leanings. I, I use the word leanings a lot when I lecture on it because think about this. And so I've, I've lectured, a uh, not lectured, I've helped a lot of PTSD guys um, coming back. And I'm like, dude, when you were where you were at and you saw something in the middle of the road, driving at 90 miles an hour, buttoning everything up, kept you alive. You just can't do it in downtown Portland. Yeah, It's right. not right. It's not wrong. It worked over there. Yeah. And so the thing is intuition, heuristics, leanings. Don't fault them. They will save your life. Yes. The question that I spend is how do you train to get the most efficient heuristics? And how can you recognize when your heuristics are potentially leading you astray? Or when your heuristics are potentially causing you to dismiss something. It's something that's out there. And so, Greg, you hit on it. And Again, I think uh, actually Dr. Mitchell, uh, Renee, does a really good job out of the American Society of Evidence Policing. She calls them pracademics, a practitioner academic. Right. We used to have the scholar warrior and these type of stuff. But Brian, to your point, there is a, a, a learning that occurs in the practice yep. compared to a learning that occurs. And I think what has happened so much is we have the ivory tower stereotype academic that is theoretical. We have the Neanderthal knuckle dragger. And I love when I basically come up in my Harley and, and my leathers and I basically pull in and step out and it's like, hey, who's talking today? Oh, that'd be me. And, and you, you change the entire the paradigm, right? Yeah. Oh, you just see the, the distance. Like, and then the next day I show up in yeah. suit and tie because, dude, it's just a uniform, man. I've worn so many uniforms in my life. I've lost track. Exactly. Right. But the fact is the core. We are humans in human systems doing human things in the constraints of humans. I was having a conversation actually yesterday, and this might be another thing for another podcast, or if you want to explore it this time, that's fine. Oh, yeah. At what point is the expectation as seen in the public's leanings, as seen in management by policy of policing, exceeding the capability of even human performance? Exactly. We want you to be able to do this or anything else. An Olympic athlete can't yes. do that. We and have a certain amount of phobia vision. We have a certain amount of cognitive. We have all these things. And, and now that's the max. That's perfection. Now let's keep slicing that off. Uh, you didn't have any sleep. You only yes. get freaking 20 hours of training in a year if you're lucky. You only get this. You only get this. And just so you know that everything you do, the first time you do something wrong, someone will notice that no matter how many times. You're a human and I, I, you just feel beat down after a while. Right. How's that going to affect your decision making? Hey, you're going through a divorce. Well, the, um, well, yeah, and that affects decision making. They're, every decision is attached to the limbic system. Research shows that. Yep. Don't think that emotion and doesn't work with this. So again, these type of things, whatever you guys want to talk about today, well, you, you throw you, the questions you, out. You, I'm there for you. You, you kind of you kind of already started hitting on uh, on the on the elements of it of what you what you said because this is something that I've said too, and we were actually just at a training course last week with law enforcement. Will be you know another one next week and this you know next month and everything, and you know you said it on your website. You said policing is complexity within complexity, yeah. and police use of force is arguably one of the most complex things to understand. And one, I obviously in violent agreement with that. 
And, and even to the point, I even to the say to, to police officers, I mean, even more so than you realize, like you were, you're pushing the limits of cognition. You're pushing the limits yes. of decision-making. You're pushing the limits of psychological and physiological arousal and what you can do yet, yet you're not explained that. So no one, no one, no one takes the time to go over that part with you. Right. So right. that's why these things happen. But, but, you know, you hit on a bunch of the elements right there of why it becomes so complex. So, but I'd like you to kind of take maybe a 30,000 yeah. foot view at first to, 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 what do you mean by that? It's complexity. Okay. Complexity. Maybe well, I'm going to keep that. Greg, why don't you chime and, in? Yeah. John, we'll John, this is what we need. We need to make sure, first of all, everybody that loves the show that listens already is going to love you because this is yeah. territory that's familiar to them, yeah. familiar enough that they want to dive in deeper. So I want to just okay. touch on heuristic very basically. My, my dad used to tell me my dad born in uh, uh, outside of Sevierville and stinking Creek holler, Tennessee. Uh, uh, we were fishing one day to eat. And it was pouring rain and we didn't go stand under a tree or under a tent. And I said, why are we doing this? And he said, fish don't know it's raining. Well, that's a heuristic and I'll never forget it because heuristics world, uh, work worldwide because they're not bound by language or biases and all humans understand them. And there's template and prototypical matches, whether it's olfactory or vision-based or anything that makes us all the same. So all human beings react to the same external stressors in a manner that can be predicted. And therefore, that's where the necessity comes in to understand the complexity, because more complex issues need the gift of time and distance. So I just want to preface that. And, and I want to show you a, a shortfall, John. This morning, uh, Detroit News, I think it was, uh, I was reading through, I'm still uh, reading the news. I don't know if that's a cool thing, but I have no social media. And there was an article about a 16-year-old Detroiter that wins all of his cases a juvenile defense attorney. And the very first word of the article is, adults don't understand things the same way that we understand things. It's a different time. And talk about the gray beard. This ties in That's all hilarious. the things that we've talked about so far. And you know what? Those are the people that call themselves SMEs. Those are the people that are being deposed, John. This is the problem. Yeah. What you do is there's no academic vetting. It's already on the news and somebody goes, well, that kid's doing it. Yeah. Okay. I got it. So, so I agree with Brian. Let's do the 30,000 foot view of complexity and where that can lead us. But I just want to make sure that our viewers and listeners sort of had a context for the relevance you're about to lay on. Okay. So yeah, I could talk about this literally for freaking days. I mean, because you guys, we'd love so to have you on, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I know you, you guys hit on so many things. Um, So, I'm, Greg, I'm going to touch on some of the stuff, and then I'm going to tie it back to the question, sure, right? certainly. So let's look at how we think about our own thinking. So um, one of the guys, uh, a friend of mine, is actually a, a limp, was an Olympic athlete qualified with uh, the hammer throw. So think about this. You're an Olympic athlete. You're in the top training and everything else. And I asked him point blank, hey, were you guys taught about visualization? So think, you know, you're in kata and martial arts or anything else. We're all taught to visualize. I'm like, Okay. But how did the coach teach you to visualize? This closest we'll get to think about our thinking in a compressed event in high competition stress, right? And he goes, well, you know, we, we, we went at the end of the day and we visualized and went, okay, fine. But who taught you to be the better visualizer? Who taught you to be the better thinker? Now, I want you to think about for all the SWAT guys out there that I'll talk to in the next couple of weeks or anything else. You guys will go to the gym every freaking morning. You'll train your six. You'll do this. You'll do this or anything else. Do you dedicate 15 minutes a day to your thinking? And I'm not talking about solving. Right. Solving is about sand tables and everything mm -hmm. else, and scenarios and everything else. Well, that's just route. 
And in other words, I, I, I think it was Keegan that said it, um, developmental psychologist, uh, problems that you're used to, they don't really increase your learning that much. They're about memory recall and doing it. But problems that you don't understand, he goes, the good problems, if you want to learn, are ones you develop an intimate relationship with. Think about the mathematician that's been working on a proof for five years. Right. What's that problem look like? What's that thinking look like? So to the idea of what you guys are talking about with this type of stuff of the heuristics, and Greg, you were talking about how it's universal. I'm going to put a slight caveat on that which is, I agree it's universal as being a human, but an interesting thing is it's both universal, and, and so there's a, there's a, if you ever see the two uh, statues outside of Japanese temples, um, they represent uh, paradox and confusion. And the idea is that every element of truth has an element of paradox and confusion. In fact, there's actually a saying, if it's not paradoxical, it's not true. And so the thing is, it's, if you think about this for a minute, it is both universal. And so then the other question is, but at, why so, at the same time is it sort of individual? And you hit upon it, and that's language. My exactly. thesis that I just did in the master's is an interesting thing about language, and you take a look in discourse psychology, which really studies the effect of language, is that language is both a construct and a constructor. It is the end result of something, our narrative, Right. Yes. And so, Greg, to your earlier point, to read something, the cool thing about reading and why you're seeing it coming in, rather than being spoon fed the video feed and everything else, I get it, man. I want to listen to my audiobook and everything else. Not bad. But when you read, you have to construct your mental model. We will usually take the words and turn them into something, don't we? A sentence is a thought. We put the sentences together in a paragraph and we're creating this running story in our head. But it's our creation, and it can be uniquely different. Now, think about the very nature of when you're when you're fed tighter constraints. How much? How many different ways can you imagine a video that you are seeing? Right, not the same, isn't it? And so the thing is, which is why you're seeing them going back to reading. So where does this all tie in? The complexity of complexity with police. We have been taught as police, we have, and I'm going to use the Kinevin framework from Cognitive Edge, uh, Kinevin Company, Dave Snowden and crew and everything else. And I'm going to use another framework, uh, the DSRP framework by Cabrera's two frameworks to, to just put them on. And you can go into Simon with bounded rationality. You can go into white with sense making. I, I cite all of them. There are 10. But the question is, how do we bring this into our stuff, right? And so we are taught very good SOPs checklist, do this, do it this way. Think about the FDO and the police and everything else. There's nothing wrong with that. It works. So why fix it? These are simple things that if we do the same way every time, will, with a high degree of certainty, come out with the same results. So guys, just do it that way. Pretty simple. Now we get into the complicated realm. Still ordered, high degree of certainty and predictability but it takes expertise to understand. Bring the experts in, analyze it, play with it, beat it up. But chances are, if you can figure out what you're looking at, sense-making, to figure out what you got in front of you, you'll probably, if you apply the right stuff on the front end, you'll probably get the right things you want out at the end. Now we're using the word right, but right is even a funny term. Right is the desirable outcome. 
Well, the desirable outcome changes by the perspective of the observer. So some person may think a different right compared to yours. So I use the words that what we're trying to do when we make a decision and understand the world is we're trying to have a higher probability that we come out with our desirable outcome. That's it. When you're doing this, you're making a choice. And I'm going to use the word decision and choice interchangeably. Because after you make the choice, chances are you're just watching the train wreck. It's just physics, man. <laughs> I mean, it is. And, and the thing is, but we, we spend so much time after the choice. Yeah. Trying exactly. to understand it. And, re- and actually, there's a term that's used. It's called retrograde coherence, which I love. It's a tendency of human to connect the dots going backward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's what we do. But there's nothing wrong with that. All humans do that. I do that. Look at the very beginning to the listeners. Every one of us here that understand this stuff is still trapped in the understanding of the stuff. Hey, you know what? I know about hindsight bias, so I won't do it. You're an idiot. Can't You're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, relax. It's like, Precisely. you know, you know, it's like a bad skit, you know, Jane, you ignorant. Yeah. Right stuff, right? <laughs> Saturday Night like, Live, man. That's yeah, it. But, but it's the same thing, right? And so the thing is, but we're pretty good at that. We got the SWAT teams. Uh, I, I ran um, MRT and I was um, in charge of the hostage negotiation team for many years. It's it's complex. Uh, it's it's complicated. But if we do it right, chances are now we get into the sticky stuff, the complex arena, complexity within complexity. Complexity means that you have a high degree of uncertainty. Even if you apply the same thing on the front end, it might come out completely different. Even well, why is this? Because it has some weird properties to it, right? One, it's got this extreme amount of connection. All the parts in the system are connected to each other and they affect each other, which is called interdependency. The fact is, if something over here changes, something over here changes, right? So we have connected dependency and we have a lot of different types of parts, diversity. And then the other thing is we have is that the system itself adapts and we get out of this this property called emergence. In other words, the very nature of being complex is that the system will spit out stuff that no one can predict. Well, guess what? Checklists don't work for that. The the same way we were focused, because we think that we're going to control all the world if we control all the variables. We have to admit and get rid of the arrogance that we'll know all the variables. So now the question then is, that's a complex system. And the way that I think it's Dr. Page, if I remember correctly, has a great course on this. I think it's a free course on complexity. Just look up complexity and um, um, uh, the, the, the some of the online courses. If you think about um, the simple, think about, and, and he describes it in mountain climbing, and we come back to the metaphor because it's pretty good for it. And Cabrera uses a metaphor. He used to be an alpinist, um, brought some of the highest peaks. If we end up Kilimanjaro, it's real simple. Take a step. If you're higher than you were a moment ago, keep going that direction. If you're not, turn around. It's the simplest algorithm in the world. Now we go to the Adirondacks. I grew up in upstate New York and the Catskills and everything else. But now we we want to get to the highest peak in a series of peaks. Still not hard to do with an algorithm, but just takes a little bit more than the simple algorithm. But now imagine that you're on the same hike. You go to sleep because you see the far peak in the distance and you're on a high peak but you're not on the highest peak. You're not quite where you want to get to. And you go to sleep and you wake up and someone's changed all the 
<laughs> Every one of them. I have to watch my speech. Someone's changed all the all the effing heights of the mountains, right? Yeah. Because you don't get to control those heights. Yeah. Citizenry, the public, the economy, and everything else. Someone over here. You look up and it's like, where the hell did the other mountaintop go? So if you are having someone change and control where it is that you want to get to, your desired end state or result, welcome to the world of complexity. Now let's take it to a use of force situation micro case. Yeah. You turn the corner, you're running that, you've been training everything else. You turn around, you see a glimpse, the moment he's drawing a gun. How many variables are in play there? How many variables got you there? How many variables in that moment? Light, illumination, this, your training, all the stuff upstream. Because we were basically taught what to attend to in those situations. Yes. Hands, hands, hands. Well, you're attending to the hands. And that movement of the hands can be only one thing. Threat. That equals threat. It's a one-to-one -one relationship. It, it, and, when you discuss the metacognition, yeah. it becomes so clear. But nobody discusses these. Nobody has the discussion you're having, which is why we built Hoberman. Because every time that we went to a trainer, it was bink, da dink, da dink, da dink, boom, something pops up, shoot, don't shoot. And we said, wait a minute, there's so yeah, much more. There's so and, much and to more. To your point, John, when, when you know, uh, you're working at the Piggly Wiggly, guy walks in, dead dog on his head, not wearing any other clothes, has a two pound <laughs> sledge duct taped in one hand and a machete duct taped in the other, and starts playing the anvil chorus at checkout line with the people. That's the worst day any of those people will ever encounter. That's just the beginning of your radio run. People do yes. not understand that it is different. Look, I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, uh, a 7-Eleven clerk doesn't have a hard job and, and that liquor store owners don't get clipped, uh, you know, during their work. Those are givens. The, the thing that I like that you're saying is that when we use metacognition and look at the way that we're thinking, if we're trying to anticipate all the things that are likely to happen, we're going to become overwhelmed by events and we're never going to get to the one thing that might save our life. And, and I go back to what you said, uh, because uh, in the Japanese towers, danger and opportunity are the same set of characters. So, yeah, so you're, it's, you're spot on. And, and I agree with that. But how, uh, Brian, let me let you caveat on it, because I'm, uh, I'm just wondering, how do we get more people to listen? Well, that's that, a good question. Th that's... Um that's a, that's, I think that's, that's happening in a sense. Right. But it, but it's, okay. it's, it's people out there looking for something, knowing, okay, we've got all these training. We've got all these things that we do. We know we're good. And like we're, we're anywhere I go, it's like, you look, your TTPs, your tax techniques procedures, they're either good enough or, you know, they're at a minimum, they're probably good enough for what you have to do. Yet, can you always improve on those? Of course. But then you're just chasing TTPs. That's not the answer. Yes. Like, you can't do Sorry, that. Sorry. I mean, it's like no different than the military doing stuff. It's like, okay, now the enemy's doing this and we got to change everything. Now they're, it's like, so we're just going to react to everything that they do. Like, how do we get in front of this? Like, what it would, there's always going to be another way to make a bomb. Like, it's, it's up to your, your, your imagination. Once you get to a certain level, it's literally what, up to your imagination. So, why are we looking at this unless it's for, 
for a specific reason. And it's the methodology that we use. And this is the thing is like a lot of the folks are reading because they they read all they they read the Kahneman, they read the Tversky, they read uh, uh, everything about even even the, the one I recommend too with uh, 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 Mladenov, Dr. Mladenov, there's a great one with heuristics and subliminal and mm -hmm. it, it's really, really cool. And, you know, they're all reading that and then they're going, okay, I see that there's something else out here. Like right. they're looking outside into that conference that you're talking about going like, hey, I think this applies to us guys. You know what I mean? And because they have so much tacit knowledge and experience to draw from already that, that you know, teaching this in that sort of law enforcement military world, um, it's actually almost easier in a sense. Well, it should be almost easier in a sense because you have the experience to draw from. You don't have to go learn that, right? You get that every single day out on the road and law enforcement especially gets it in such a short amount of time. I mean, you really go out there and in a few years, you've seen almost everything you're going to see uh, uh, and, and, or, or be able to determine if there isn't, you know, what's, what's, what's outside the norm of that. And it's like, well, how do we draw on this? Cause you, you gave the, the perfect example of someone chasing someone down and then the hands come out. It's like, well, there's so much that went into that. It's like, why are exactly. I like, did our training and the way we do things create the inevitability in the situation that I'm going to kill this person tonight? And because now it's a roll of the dice, whether or not that was a gun or not, because as you know, understanding how the brain works in those situations, sometimes it might fill in that picture where it was the cell phone, it was the wallet, and that person saw a gun and they're not Close lying. enough. They saw it. Right. Their brain just filled that in for them in that situation. So it's like some of what we do creates the inevitability in the situation. And the other thing is with all of these, especially anything that makes a news or or becomes, you know, uh, um, it becomes some some major case. It's actually uh, fairly rare that those things happen. The problem is it's a it's so asymmetrical. It's like it's rare, but when it happens, it's the worst thing in the world and it sets everyone back. So it's like, okay, but but the reason why I frame it that way <clears throat> is it means, you know, 99% of the stuff you do, you're good. All right, keep doing it. You know what I mean? We only need to focus on this, but but here's the thing. I can't just have some sort of training system that focuses on one thing because it's not very utile. Like I can't use that in every yeah. situation. So, yeah, so, 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 so now we're getting into how do I, how do I do this? Because okay. we talked about things that are yeah. volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Well, how do I cut through that? I mean, that that's our thing is, is we're trying to say, yeah. how do I, how do I get rid of the ambiguity? So it becomes obvious okay, so, with, you know? Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's put some stuff in and some yeah. concrete as a way of time. So let's, let's do that. And again, these are just, you know, a uh, thought. So again, I was listening to Ackoff's uh, video for everybody there, watch it and watch other stuff, get smart about it. But he was giving the example of if you, if you were to take all of the best cars in the world, the Bentleys, the Rolls Royces and everything else and put them into a room and dissect them. And the first thing that we know is the system is never its part. An engine can't do the purpose of a car. An engine can't transport goods or persons from point A to B. A tire can't, nothing else, right? But yet we have this idea that to improve or to reduce error, which is what we what management usually focuses on, to reduce error, to get more desirable outcomes and to actually remove the less desirable outcomes, it's this engine, this wheel, everything else. Well, just think about this for a minute from a systems theory perspective. And this is straight out of ACOS video. If you were to take the best transmission from the Mercedes, the best engine from the Bentley, the best stuff from the Royals, and put them all together, it would never work. Right. Improvement of a single part never will improve the system per se. The system is looked at 
in both the holistic fashion, and he gives the example of an architect, if I want these items in my kitchen or this or anything else, well, we have to design that with the house in mind. You design both the house and the kitchen at the same time. And you would never design the kitchen in such a way that the house doesn't have a roof. Mm. The system always sort of takes primacy. So the first thing, step one, think in systems. And if you want a really good way to do it, um, I'm a systems trainer. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I talk to four science, so I'm an advanced four science analyst. I'm a, I'm up, I'm up to the level of Axon now. Uh, was used to be uh, input ace. I'm, I'm a video analyst as well. And the reason was I got tired of people telling me stuff about these things. I wanted to get that. So get smarter about these things. One of the ways you can do it is just to get smarter. But Brian, to your point. What happens if we do get smarter? So what? I used to have a thing when I talked to the two stars, I routinely briefed two and three stars because of the place I was at and things I did. And my normal thing was situation awareness. So what? Now what? What next? You're talking about the so what? Hey, we got all this understand. We got that. What's the, what's the general going to turn around? Guess, That's all fine and good. Why should I care? And if you don't have an answer to that, you're wrong. Short answer, right? Because I, I did Intel and Ops, I, I did both sides of the equation. So to your point, and I think what you said was, is what we do causing inevitable? I would argue it's contributing to it. But that first of all, the inevitable doesn't mean it's a bad or a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Training should contribute to an outcome. It right. should be related to it somehow, right? But here's, let's reframe that question. I actually speak on framing that. What about what we don't do? Mm-hmm. Is what we exactly. don't do a and, and and don't start doing the A B bivalent thinking thing. Oh, it's it's more about what we don't do. No, it's everything. Right, right. It's both what That's we're why doing. It's complexity, exactly, exactly. Yes, thank Spot you. And, and it's what we're no, no. and it's what we're not doing. So again, just as I'm, uh, you guys, th- I love this stuff because I'm like scribbling freaking notes here. <laughs> yeah, <about this>. yes. <laughs> right, right, right. But so, um, John, I, I I just want to wedge this in while you're thinking about that for the yeah, people at home that are listening. Listen, uh, uh, the best time to uh, start your diet and start your workout and uh, really get serious about it is after your heart attack, because that's what it's going <laughs> to yeah. take. That's yeah. what it's going to take for the average ass out there to do it. So you need some external schema or motivation or, or you know, something to happen for you to do something. And in police work, it's always too late. So, so you have to, and to use Brian's term, get ahead of it. How do you get ahead of something? Get well, ahead of something by educate yourself now on these likely outcomes so it doesn't become inevitable. Because inevitability can be a good thing, you know, yeah. but but it can also be that veiled threat that when you come up against it, you're like, hey, wait a minute, it's the perfect storm. Yeah. And so I'll take a quote from hard. Yeah, I'll take a quote from Buck Buck Mr. Fuller. If if basically if you want to have this new version, and I'll paraphrase, if you want the old model to become obsolete, make a new model. That's it. That's it. Now, never and there's that and the old maxim from, of course, Murphy, which I got on my back wall here. Never confuse simple with easy, and the easy way is always mine. <laughs> That's so <laughs> funny. So, so we all we all all been there, done that, right? Yeah, so sure. let's let's keep going with what you said. The first thing is think in systems. Start thinking in systems. Teach yourself to think in systems. That's number one. How we get there? How's all this stuff related? A perfect example is and we've talked about this before, is you're in a trainer. Let's bring it back to the concrete. 
for the first X amount of days, and and if you if you ever did bicycling or anything else, or you did martial arts, one of the best things you can do if you want your non-dominant side to be at least catching up, so to speak, is train that side first with the cognitive aspect of a new technique. Right. Because what will happen then is you'll actually have greater parity between your left and your right type of things. If you're doing a new drill on the range, shoot the new drill with your non-dominant side. See how it feels. Figure it out. Where's my feet? What am I doing? Everything else. And then you'll transfer that a lot easier than the reverse reverse way dominant to non-dominant. Well, mm -hmm. we can do that in the way we think. We can add systems thinking to that. So that's number one. Number two, and Greg, you hit on this, focus on the upstream. There's a quote by Desmond Tutu. At some point, we need to stop pulling people out of the river and go upstream and figure out why they're falling in. Sense-making is upstream. Now, I want you to take the same metaphor. Imagine we're, over, we are, we're on a bridge overneath, uh, over a fast-flowing stream, river, creek, whatever you freaking call it, um, and we're up there. Most people, and, and if, if, if we're going from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, the river's flowing from 12 to 6. The bridge is over the river from th uh, 9 to 3. Most people stare at 6 o'clock. They stare downstream. They see the people being pulled out. They scream, it's wrong. It's We, we shouldn't have this. It's unfair. It's this. We still got to pull the people out, man. That, that's what we do, including ourselves. Exactly. Now, what I want you to do instead is, in this metaphorical little story here, Turn around and ask yourself, what's going on upstream? How many of us routinely face upstream? One of the things I recently taught, I call it the Heraclitus paradox, and it's a perfect way of examining the intricacies, and this, Brian, goes to your original question, complexity of complexity, is, and, and attributed with a quote, philosopher, um, uh, no man steps in the same river twice, it's never the same river, it's never the same man. We usually associate that with the water flow, with the river. Once we step in and we step out of it, the river's passed. But I want you to think about you, anybody listening, you guys here. When you step in a river, you now know something about that river that you never knew before. It's temperature, it's rate, it's flow. Now you perceive that, but now you know, you lived it. And you step out on the other side. Now, when you turn around to cross that river in reverse, it's not the same river. So even though you think you know the river, you don't. There's an old saying in rafting, the river that was flowing yesterday ain't flowing the same way today. And that's for raft guides. A buddy of mine's a raft guy. And you have a greater level of knowledge than you had. It's neither good nor bad. You have been changed as well. So now that metaphorical shooting that happens as just one micro case, right? Even you can't go back in time. You're the best, worst evidence of your perception. And you were affected at that moment, but now you will know things because you know the outcome. We have to simply address that. We don't judge that. Right. We address it. We incorporate it. So now how do we do this into the training? So bullet point number two, so to speak, focus on the upstream. That means focus on the moments leading up to. Mm -hmm. You're in a trainer. You're doing everything else. Spend the first three or four days. Have the jury box because we learn better by other people talking about it. And we, the people in the jury box are learning between themselves. 
But the cool thing about it is they offer multiple perspectives and bring in anybody, bring in freaking lawyers, bring in mental health counselors, bring in, I don't care, bring in people that simply think differently. Now they watch something and at the moment, just before the decision is being made, that, that, that moment of choice, just before that, there's a saying in Wyke's uh, uh, work that he quotes someone else, that sense-making is a way station on the way to decision-making. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a continuous incremental process. And I always like the idea of that's a way station. At that moment, right? Stop it. Turn it around and say, what were you paying attention to? Don't ask them about their choice. What, what should you have done? We even use words like that. What should yeah. you do now? What could, well, what five other things could you have done? We're actually teaching them to think in hindsight. We're teaching them to think that way. Instead, ask them, what are you paying attention to? Just ask them, the guy there, the gal there. Now ask the jury box, what were you paying attention to? Exactly. Cool. Now ask the next question. Why was that important to you? Mm-hmm. Now get an expert cop over there. You have to be careful of that because experts can become the so-called authority figure and, the, and that people start thinking right and wrong. So you got to build a relationship that an expert is just another perspective. And ask the expert, think about expert intuition with Gary Klein and recognition, uh, uh, Brian Moon and the naturalistic decision-making conf- uh, uh, society and everything else. Expert intuition, right? What were you paying attention to? Now let's have a conversation. Why was that important to you? Why was that important to you or anything else? And now just leave it at that. Don't, don't pass judgment on this. And, and let them, as learners, come. I, I never really thought about that. I never really thought the guy could turn or anything else. Do that for three or four days. And now to your earliest thing, hey, it could have been a cell phone. It could have been that, everything else. Brian, what you said. The guy turns around, the gal turns around and said, yeah, I recognize that, but it happened so quick, I just couldn't take the chance. Now we're beginning to understand. Didn't right. mean you didn't look for it. What could you have done? Well, I could have, if it, could you have given yourself time? I went to cover. What were you waiting for? Well, I knew it might be this or this, and I knew I had enough time. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the attention drives perception. Perception drives meaning, all these being iterative loops. Meaning will eventually dictate choice. Think about it. We actually say in cops, this we, we give it a conclusionary meaning, threat. Things that you guys deal with all the time with your, with your program, right? Threat. Once we have given it that meaning, there's only so many things on the a la carte menu that we're going to pick. And, and that, I mean, that speaks directly to, to language and everything and how we Absolutely. process that scene. I mean, that's even the one we tell people. <laughs> so, Greg, like, I see your hands. I'm, I'm going to leave one thing because I know you guys are just going to run with this. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Here, we've got a couple just of salient this. points for you. We write police reports. We've been taught right. subject A, suspect, everything else. Why not use their names? You know what their freaking name yeah, is. If you know what their name is, then yeah. But you, oh, hey, yeah. you've just lived through the Mr. So and So, Mrs. Yeah, so and So. Exactly. Because at that point, the reader who doesn't know them, you've told them they're you've a told, threat. Yeah. Yeah. John, it, you're still, you're still, it's, police work is still in the days of soft felon arrested same. And, <laughs> and we have to grow out of that for the beards and the hair to get grayer. 
but Brian, please bring up your point because I know you, 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 the language, you, the language is, is so important. And then yep. we see certain ones that we go, here's why I wouldn't say that. Here's why I wouldn't ever call something a pre attack behavior unless it's so obvious it doesn't need the term. Right. Well, Guy point, just prejudiced everybody everyone. Room, it's right? like, but hold on, Brian. And, yeah. and think about yeah. this. We can say that. But we don't say it. We say it when we're talking about ourselves on why we came to that perception. So write down all the facts. Exactly. exactly. Write it clean and then say, now I have a separate section and actually write it on a separate page. So uh, Dr. Dior, who does linear sequential unmasking for forensics, a perfect example of this, his his statement is don't give anybody the information they don't need until they might need it. And if they don't need it, don't give it to them. Yeah. And they found that forensics and everything else is supposed to be pure, that we were still skewed by our human understandings of names of and our beliefs and everything else. So the thing is, give them a clean thing. Get rid of the metadata. Let someone read through the narrative that is more Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, and everything else. Now, for someone that's doing a review on it, I have to understand, well, what did that mean to you? Page two, what it meant to me. Yes. These are indications of threat. I've been trained this training. Like, okay, got it, man. I'm, I'm with you. But I don't need that for another reader, per se, and we can parse those things out. Anyway, go ahead. I cut you off. No, no, no. So that's the spot on. And I think to to dovetail on what Brian was saying, if you're talking about pre-threat behaviors, uh, pre-event indications of violence, what you're doing is pigeonholing yourself and not saying there was a panacea of different things. And these coalesce to form my opinion, and my opinion is my own. I drew a reasonable conclusion based on those. Now, here's the thing. When when we talk to you, uh, uh, and Aragon is, is your company, there'll be links to it on the on the the, the podcast. Uh, we talk to folks from Arbinger, uh, uh, a fan of, of Arbinger's uh, yep, uh, way so of I. thinking. Yeah. And uh, when we talk to uh, Von Klein or Chris Butler or Bill Lewinsky uh, over yep. at Force Science, the idea is this. The reason, and Klein, Klein's been around as long as I have, and 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 uh, uh, we've uh, argued over who came up with something first, which is a great uh, humbling factor and an honor, right? Just just like when you're talking to an intellectual, and all of a sudden you hear them quote something that you've been quoting, and and you feel right. great about it. Why? Because we got to be like Saul on the road to Damascus and have the scales fall from our eyes and look down and in as much as we look up and out. There are no challenges. Uh, uh, in principle, faced by modern day cops that haven't been faced by police all the way back to Ugluk and Mukhtar in cave dwellings. Now you're saying, well, technology and this and the speed of information, all of those. But but we acquiesce that all of society has those same challenges. The difference is where we have to intervene, where we put the sharp end of the wedge in there. And the idea is, rarely do I show up on the scene. And just get involved with something. Those on-view things happen. The better cops are out there doing those. Why? Because they see those situations start to develop and say, I want to get involved. But when you've got a radio run, the problem is that you're already starting to force yourself into a line of thinking. Now, what what, uh, uh, heuristics and biases do we face? Uh, The person making the call, if they're a witness. Dispatch taking down the information. Now the radio call comes out and other units start chiming in. So when we take a look at something as complex as police work, and then we add a shots fired call or shots fired uh, officer down or a pursuit, then that layer of complexity to me goes out amongst the the solar system 
where math and, and science start to get a little wonky. So if you don't study for it now, you're never going to get ahead of it as it's unfolding. So I, I think that the way you think of things, the way some of these other people do, we should never be in competition. We should be supporting fires because they're on the right track. I think we're all going in the same direction. And I think it's a, a, a very uh, cogent direction. We're not just sitting with 16 ounce gloves swinging. We are all seeing this materialize in front of us. And we're having hard conversations about tough uh, problems. One thing, and I'll shut up. One thing on your site that I loved, and and, and uh, you started off, I fly fish and I guide fly fishing. It's the only thing that relaxes me and I don't get to do it nearly enough. When you get a fly fishing knot, the very first thing is to stop, give yourself the gift of time and distance and make that problem bigger. Because when you make it bigger, when you blow that knot up, then you see all the uh, uh, little intricacies that are, that are your challenges that you face. And you at Aragon and you personally, and guys like John Peters and, and again, Arbinger and uh, the guys at yeah, Four Science and some of the other ones that are doing it right. Uh, uh, and we know John in an odd way, but, but uh, just, I like that. And I like when you come on here because you're challenging those assumptions. You're not just a, 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 a spouting pabulum and saying, hey, this is uh, what I read. You're saying, hey, look, this theory and these, I love the use of systems. I love the use of uh, uh, looking upstream uh, to see what you are because ends justification is horse crap. And you're not going to be a, a, a expert witness long if that's what you're coming in and trying to put yeah, these no. together backwards. Yeah, and, and I'll give you an example of that. So, and um, so I, I commonly hang stuff on as a framing mechanism the four truths model. Four right. truths model is out of human systems dynamic, and it argues for the fact that at any given moment there exists multiple truths. There is the objective truth. And the way to think about the objective truth is time, space, distance, things that we know by science, everything else. Now, here's an interesting thing. So imagine right now, it could be anything. We're going out and we're about to do a freaking raid, uh, put on our old uh, special ops hats. We're about to do this. We're going to do stuff after us, put on a cop hat, put on a business hat. It really doesn't matter. Right. The objective world is known by what we would call hard science. But the funny part about it is, and think about it. Psychology is an offshoot way back when of philosophy, mm -hmm. right? So let's think about philosophy for a minute. Do we ever interact with the objective world, that which is causing the stimulus to our senses? Now, that's been a philosophical argument forever, that we can actually directly interact without this thing. Uh, Cabrera, who does the DSRP theory, Dr. Cabrera is at Canaro Research Labs, calls that the, the mother of all biases, reality bias. There will always be something between us and the objective world. And it's a way, and think about it. What does the objective world mean? We already know that we can only see down to certain wavelengths. We can only see up. We can only hear at certain frequencies. We have ones and zeros. Everything that's coming in, the refraction of light, the, the, the sound that's going off of our, our eardrums and everything else is being transferred into ones and zeros, and it's being processed. All of these things affect our perception of the objective world. So we have the objective reality. That means that objective reality is never known in the moment of action. Now, think about this then. If we do that and we understand that, no one has ever come up to me in an interview and said, well, I then recognize I was 16.7 feet away, recognizing that the trigger pull occurs at a quarter of a second, knowing that he was closing at the, no. 
What he says is, I thought I was about to die. I turned around. He was right fuck in front of me. I then pointed my gun, pulled the trigger until he wasn't. That I trust. Yep. Right. And we can unpack that. But that means that the objective world is a causation of the subjective perception. So objective truth, subjective truth. Everybody looking at that will have a subjective perception. And we say that because the perception is inaccurate. It doesn't comport with the objective reality, only known after the fact that somehow the object, the subjective truth is false. It's not false. It is their subjective truth. It is neither right, wrong, or anything, or false. It is sometimes inaccurate, but it's not false, because that's what they acted upon. It is their truth. We have the normative truth, their truth. Remember, subject, uh, the four truths model. That is the truth that society has agreed upon to honor. We're going to call this X, call this Y, this is day, this is night. It's normally a truth found within language. And then if we put them all together and we say this truth is most meaningful at this moment and we mix them up and, and manage them, and this is a, a, a concept that comes from Habermas, a, a, a philosopher, um, is that we will call this thing mixed up the complex truth. Now, the reason why that's nice in courtroom presentation is. The objective truth we know by the forensic science, video and analysis of time and speed and everything else. The subjective truth we know by cognitive interviewing and everything else, memory and recall and, and the way we stuff and, 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 and the impression. And we can also go upstream. What was their training? What, how, what was their culture like in their police agency? What, what led to this type of stuff? What, Brian, you called in the very earliest, the inevitability. Watching this stuff unfold, right? Quantitative is done by experimentation and measures and everything else. Qualitative is done by case study, phenomenology, grounded theory, uh, discourse psychology, for example. Both are equally relevant mm -hmm. if we're focused on understanding. If we're not focused on understanding and we're focused on proving, and this goes back to your stuff, Greg, mm -hmm. when we're in a courtroom, it's a competition. We have winners and losers. You don't want a tie. Tie is called a mistrial. You're not focused in a courtroom. The courtroom is not designed to increase understanding. In fact, the word verdict comes from verdictum, and it's the only time that I can see where they're saying to seek the truth, to, to get to the truth. But when you are guilty and not guilty, we don't use any judgment of morality in the courtroom, right or wrong or anything else, because it's not part of the standard. You either meet a level, a burden of proof, and the competition is trying to say, if we were to put this on the metaphorical playing field, you're, you have to get to the 20-yard line or you have to get to the 50-yard line, preponderance of the evidence, the 20, uh, the 95, whatever, five yards within the goal so they can kick it, whatever it is for your metaphor. Our job is only to get you there. Not as an expert witness. My job is exactly the opposite. My job is to help you understand the game. Right. And to understand how the players think and everything else. So. Back to your earliest question and bullet point number three. How do we get people to listen? Right. One, the cool thing about this is everybody listening to this podcast right now can choose to focus inward. Start with yourself. Amen. Number one, there's so much stuff out there. And I, I will reach out to me. I will give you a freaking laundry list of stuff that you will not get through. Anybody that talks to me, they're like, my head hurts. I just don't want to do this again. I get it. But man, just take, it's like, it's like the Burlitz method of language learning. Just keep shoving it and eventually your ear will tune itself to it. Then the other thing is 
when you're looking outwards, remember that you're only looking outwards or externally with one perspective. Yeah. So if you want to listen, how do we get people to listen? It goes back to the earliest part of this podcast. Start with conversations that are focused on understanding, not on proving. Get away from a solution-centric mindset. We have to solve something, anything else. That's called efficiency. That, that, solve something quicker, faster, everything else. I want you to be more effective. Exactly. And to be more effective in your decision-making, to get more, a higher probability in uncertain complex environments to the desirable outcome, you need to start focusing on your sense-making, that which occurs upstream of the decision. And Greg, to your earlier stuff, the time to do that is not in the crisis. It's an old right. saying by Elizabeth Dole. I dealt with a lot of humanitarian assistance, disaster relief projects. The time to build a relationship is not during a crisis. Right. And and one of the, one of the issues it's I, every I see is everyone wants that. Well, what are the decisions then? What are the answers? They're all looking at the answers. Give me the Ishikawa diagram. Give me decision tree. Give me the yes no. Right. That's well, give, fine give, for complicated. Give, Doesn't work for give, complex. Well, that's the thing. It's exactly. like give me give me the give me the matrix. Give me the threat yeah. assessment model, and I can just use that. It's like well, well, no, because even the guy that wrote that threat assessment model said that's not how it's yeah. supposed to be. I, I call it the name it in three notes model. So the fact is, every time someone do, I can name it seven notes. Well, I had a system now that can name it in five notes. Yeah, there you there's, go, dude. It, there's yeah, you, no, you're it, reducing it to just inaneness. You know, Box said every uh, every model is wrong, but some are useful. We model so that we can simplify the complexity, so that we can swim in and interact with it. But never ever confuse your model with that. Now, going back to something that all of us are very much used to. What were we always told? The map is not the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the model is not the ground. And when you watch someone think that the map is more important than the ground, you know what happens. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it, and uh, you know, one of the one of the ways I, I put it too is because you and you talked about this with objective truths and you know what our perception of things are. You know, that obviously it's you know, the objective truth is it's you know, 42 degrees and, you know, that yep. that's what it is. But, you know, the subjective truth is, well, I'm cold. Well, some people there are. It is. So, so yes. you're, 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 that's not the truth here, but, and it's funny because I, I hate all these reality shows that are out, but I heard one of the greatest lines ever on it. And that was, they were all yelling and screaming and drinking Chardonnay and, you know, they, they could create these moments for this drama. And then the one girl is like, I want to speak my truth. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I go as there much go. as I make fun of these shows. That's about the greatest line I've ever heard because that's so true. That's exactly what it is. It's her truth. It's not what happened at all, but it's what happened to her. And and you know, a, a lot of times we're just bad, or we're. I don't think we're always good at at measuring an assessment. Right? Measurement and assessment is very difficult. It's very complex, um, or it can be. It can be very complicated. But but it's it's we we don't always pick the right things to to measure and, and, and assess. And then, so we get these outcomes and we, we, cause we're trying to quantify data and we're trying to quantify things that are non-repeatable events. This isn't flipping a coin. You yes. can't do a statistical analysis of it. It's non-repeating. I go everything. You can take the exact situation. Let's say a police shooting is a perfect example. You take the exact situation, you change one element, everything changes. You go from night yeah. to day and it changes. Now you want to talk about a different officer. Oh, that completely changes the math. Like uh, all of those things are, but we try to quantify it and go well let's measure and assess this it's like look Bayes theorem isn't going to work here man like it's just not like you can't do that if, if for these things like, these are and 
Okay, and that's so, part uh, of, of what we're, cause so, so now we're on the right, we're not even on the right track because we're measuring and assessing the wrong yeah. things. So now we have to use that as like some, some goal to come to. And it's like, why is that the yeah. goal? You know? And Brian, I mean, you're hitting on a crucial understanding. When we use the word measure in the way that you just used it, and you're pointing out the, the, the fallacy of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that we are measuring an outcome and we're going backwards. A measurement can't occur unless we have an outcome. What are you measuring? And this, that's if we're measuring outcomes. But is there a way to, for lack of a better term, measure process? The thinking. And there is. There's many different ways to do it. But the difference is they're kind of fuzzy. They don't have that great, that great, oh, because I want to know if it's seven or eight. Uh, it's somewhere between two and 10. Well, that's not good enough. Why isn't it good enough? That's the first question we should ask is why isn't it? The fact that you know it's not 100 and it's 10, I can plan with that. We plan with high degrees of correlation. We, don't, we never plan off of certainty and, and the weather Precisely. or anything else we do or where you're going to be that night. You live in, a, in basically a world of accepted probabilities, not a world of accepted causations. Now, spot on. The, the the fourth bullet on this for people that are trying to follow the transcript, like I, I got, I don't even know where the hell the second bullet was. I thought they yeah. went off the else is live in the question. Berger wrote a, a, a beautiful book, The Art of the Beautiful Question. There's actually out of Harvard Kennedy School, you can take it, I think it's like 99 bucks out of the Right Question Institute. We have gotten away, and this is a quote by Voltaire, judge a man by his questions, not by his answers. We have gone away from the value of the better question, the value of the insightful question. The question in a complex situation is more important than the answer. Because once we so focus true. on the solution, and, and this comes from like, think about, and this is the D and DSRP theory distinctions. When we have a, a distinction, this is the way the human brain works. Um, we have identity and other. If we call something A, the moment we call it A, we have also labeled everything that is not A. The very moment of labeling, we do that. And you actually can read the Tao Te Ching. It's in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> About, it's so freaking old. And again, uh, the one thing I forgot, and as I'm switching from four jobs to three, as I joke my wife on retirement, is I did not adequately budget for alcohol and freaking nicotine between cigars and that <laughs> yeah. for the level of frustration that I experienced. Yeah, so, so thank you for that because I'll have to go do that afterwards about this. But but anyway. You're welcome for the gift of PTS. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. exactly. So what I'm getting in is when we ask a question in the cop and military world, you're often viewed as weak. How come you didn't know anything else? But Can what happens if all we did was focus on questions for a while. Just play with questions. The right question institute has a, 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 a format. It's called the question focus technique, a QFT, that can help you become comfortable again with the, the power of the question. So sense makers, and, and this is actually like the last two presentations I gave, was we have the type one thinker, the type two uh, thinker, think uh, Kahneman and everything else, right? What I'm proposing is, can we create the type three sense maker right someone that does a little bit of both it doesn't we have to stop getting away into this a or not a or yes. this or not 
that, right? Yeah. We have to be able to look at, and this is zooming in and zooming out, so to speak, is the holistic and the part, the holistic and the part, the system and the whole, the action and the reaction. So if you have relationships, every relationship has an action and reaction. If you have a perspective, everything has a point, the observer, where they're looking from, and an impression, the view that they make out of it, the meaning they give it. If you have a system, you have parts and holes. If you have distinctions, you have identity and others. And there's actually jigs in this. And, and the Cabrera Research Lab, there are 10. I'm a trained, I'm, a, I'm allowed to teach their methodology. I'm not pushing it. Go on on your own. Become the healthy skeptic. Ask your own questions. Ask your own questions about your own thinking. What might I be missing? Right. What am I not seeing? Who could help me see what I'm not seeing? Yeah, it's so spot on. And we call that the semi-Socratic because you yes. can't be you can't be all Socratic because if you're all Socratic, you're going to stunt the decision-making process maybe when you need it the most. But you yeah. can be right up along the edge of that. And this is why I love the law so much. This is why you look at the decisions of the Supreme Court. And if you actually take a moment and read them and you see the beauty of things like constitutional law and, and the amendments, and you understand that it's a jury of your peers, it's not the most learned or the richest people in the community that are judging you. It's it's an amalgam of yeah. everybody because we want that differential thinking. And, and you know, when you see uh, terms like precedent, well, how did they do it before? Somebody had a good idea or we wouldn't be here. All of those concepts are thinking points, and I love thought leaders. We talk about SPAR, sense make, prob uh, problem solve, adaptability, and resilience. You cannot become resilient if you're not adaptable. You cannot yeah. uh, uh, engage in law enforcement if you're not cognitively flexible, if you're able to stand outside of your corporeal self and look back at you. And, and those are such important points that you're bringing up. And we're only, we're just touching on the surface. Oh, That's we're it. touching on the surface of oh, it. Oh yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're just, we're just, uh, you know, literally a case series on this. So again, perfect example, what you just gave, let's take what we learn and apply it back to a concrete example. So to all the lawyers out there or cops that have dealt with lawyers, I yep. don't care anything else. I want you to think about a normal jury process and we're going through a trial. Once the jury's seated, their job is to judge. Now, they're supposed to be listening and finders fact, but basically, if you think about it, the metaphor I use is you're in the optometrist's office. Every piece of information that's given out is better now or now, better now or now. They're listening exactly. and discarding, they're, they're doing it, and it's, it's completely linked to leanings and heuristics and everything else, and that's okay, because we're humans and that's what's going to happen. But you've told them your job at this point is to hold this person's outcome in your hands. And they're just like you just described, Greg. They're just, exactly. for the most part, they're your peers, right? So now you get the expert in. If you bring the expert in it there and they're going to explain, and I've brought in, I've been brought in as what's called an expositional expert to explain cognition and that kind of stuff, not talking about the case. And I get routinely, I've got tons of active cases I get brought in to talk about the case, which is fine. But to the lawyers and the other folks out there, why aren't we talking about these concepts during voir dire? Exactly. Think about it. In voir dire, we're asking the jury questions. We're helping them. Hey, do you think this way or anything else? And there are there are people that are already doing it, lawyers, some of the lawyers are doing it, where they develop a little five-minute thing. And, and I get it. The judge is a gatekeeper. They can say, yeah, we're not doing that. But, but we got to start somewhere. 
And they've got this little five-minute quiz. Think about the um, think about video. We think video is truth. Show them the basketball on the gorilla. Show them something. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Five minutes. Right. Say, what do you think now? Do you, do you realize? Can you objectively come to an opinion of guilty or not guilty, recognizing that jury is not truth? Will you take that in that? And everybody will say that. Well, they can't unsee what they just saw. But the difference is their mindset. You're not in the job of judging. You're exactly. in the job of why am I here? Now you do a little quiz on. You get the same fact set to half the. 30 people sitting there because you're doing void deer. You give another, you give the same fact set to another and you just change a simple word or anything else. And people come out with different results. Do you understand how influential hindsight can be knowing the outcome? And one fact set you give the outcomes unknown and the other fact set you give them the outcome first. When you get the jury instructions, you'll be taught, you'll be shown that hindsight is et cetera. And if, if you do that, can you, can you um, make sure that you are not falling into this trap of thinking. You can refer back to those things during your closing and everything else, and they'll remember it. They'll remember that little test, that little demonstrative. And they all came in before the first opening argument. Exactly. Because from that moment happens, we are immediately becoming co-opted and biased because it's an adversarial system. It's not inquisitorial. It's not designed to understand. It's designed one side has to win. Those arguments are given to influence and make it more likely that one side will win, whoever's opening it is. Now, how do we get ahead of this was some of the themes that we've been talking about. Yep. We can take what we know and we can apply it to the training in the simulator, to the jury on the outcomes, to the policy about teaching the policymakers. We can do all that. In fact, I have been trying desperately to get in front of people to do just that. Because that's where these conversations need to be had. They need to be had at the exactly. bottom and the top. Greg Sattel does a great job in his book, Cascades. Him, Ed Morrison, and crew have a great uh, thing on Clubhouse where they basically take incubators. But what they talk about is the way any movement of transformation moves is you basically it, you, you basically have what they call the apostles. You have to get a couple people on the team. It doesn't happen just because it's right. It doesn't happen because science proves it. It happens, we begin to transition by the very nature of beginning to get a group of other people that believe and go forth and, and have these conversations until we reach tipping points in certain places that the momentum picks up and up and it becomes. In fact, I've got a quote behind me, uh, Schopenhauer, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. Third, it's self-evident. There you go. Well, That's I'll tell what you what, Brian, Brian and, and yeah. I use the whole Raptor example all the time uh, because, you know, is it better now? Is it better now? Because we understand the lenses. I would say another of the, the 90 gems that you just dropped. Listen, folks, if you're doing training, get your prosecuting attorney in on the training. Have them review your training guides because when you're there and you've written a report and then you go in and they're making a deal, they're making a deal because that's what they do. They're making a deal because they've got a set of systems that have worked for them. They're not yep. thinking about you or your training, and no. they're going to come out of left field sometimes with ideas. But if they understand what you're going to, they, the, your community managers, your church leaders, uh, ride-alongs, all of those are ways to get this essential message out there from a grassroots level. And that's what John is talking about. He's talking about creating an insurgency. 
And, and that insurgency is the advocate on the ground, the boots that are helping you send that message around. That's great stuff. Oh, no. Remember, I'm going to put my old SF hat on. Yeah. What's, what's the difference between a foreign internal defense, counterinsurgency, and that? Depends whose side you're on. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Amen. That's, that's 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 I, it depends I, I, on where the government said am i am i on this side of the border or this side of the border right Call yeah. up, man and that's why yeah. you always carry a bug out kit too john because that changes, my car. that yeah. changes all the time exactly it, it, it's, fluid. It, it's that's why even with the the 11 going on 15 year old i guess girl i have here at home where i call her the insurgent everyone on here knows her because i refer to her as the insurgent but at the, it's the same time it's like someone was actually having a conversation about it. they're like hey that's really funny but isn't it more like foreign internal defense because you're kind of training her i go yeah but she also might you're right but she also never might know. try to attack me so maybe and, and, and see, here's the thing guys and this is another thing so we joke about this but we have a common language. We have shared experience. These common languages exactly. speak to a model. And once we bring the model out there, sometimes it never meets the stuff that we have the shared experience, right? And so if you want to have these meaningful, and this is why I love these type of things, these meaningful conversations, go in with your troops, go in with your people and learn about them. So uh, I, I help on some of the AI stuff. Think about AI. Everybody, okay, AI cannot care about you. Mm -hmm. A leader can. You can care about your partner. AI is as biased as the first human that wrote the algorithm or the data set by which AI is learned. So don't think that AI is more objective. It isn't. So what differentiates you as a learner? What differentiates you if you want to learn about complexity? What differentiates you as going into the workplace? Care about each other. That's it. Care about what you're doing. Care about quality. Care about effectiveness. Not this idea of efficiency or quick or anything else. And sometimes we have to do that. And stop thinking bivalently. I'm going to choose right. effectiveness. No, stop. Just care about learning. Care about these things. Care about each other. Get in there and do it. But more importantly, have the conversations. And exactly. the very act of conversation is the old adage is we should be listening more than we're talking, which obviously all of us have done here. But yeah, putting that aside <laughs> for a minute. No, you, you can't have all, you can't, all, all yeah. the alpha males in a room like this. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's vying constantly. Right, right. Well, this is a great conversation. Yeah. Just a, a, a wonderful. And the, the problem is all conversations for uh, this type of medium have to be a certain length of time. I know. Well, the, the, the idea the, is, though, that it doesn't have to be because we can revisit some of the magic that we had today. I, I And I try at the end here to kind of recap a few of the yeah. highlights that we talk about. But like now I'm like, no, I don't. I where can't. would you go? We're like, hang on. Yeah. You, you brought where up would you great... a podcast. That's going to be the recap of a you, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you brought up some, some uh, really great points and, and, you know, we always like to, to boil those down to simple messages or what you were talking about too, with, with your takeaways as well. And what objective reality, I mean, there's, there we go. So we, we, we try, we try to really boil that down to very, very simple things. And, yep. and, you know, for a takeaway, because I mean, and you know what happens when you, you guys start getting into this or they look into decision-making science or complexity or anything, it's almost like they get lost. Like, holy crap. Well, everything is subjective and everything. It's like, well, no, I mean, yes, it is. But like, 
no, you, you, you influence the situation that you're in and you have more knowledge and experience, I think, than, than people realize that you can draw on. And, and, and if we're focusing on that internally, what can I draw on to make a better decision here? Or, or what else do I know that I'm not thinking of right now? I mean, th- those are simple ways to cut through this. And that's what, yeah. that's what I like doing is really just, okay, well, how do I make it less ambiguous? How do I make it less complex? How do I get rid of some of the uncertainty? Some of those things you actually do um, without realizing it. So for, first kind of becomes this sort of recognition of what these these words mean and and understanding the situation that I'm in, the sense making that we we hit on, uh, you know, that's our major thing is all about sense making. And then you're going to, you. it's up to you to make the decision. Some people don't like that. We're like, well, you tell us what the decision is. But like, well, wait a minute. I, well, I thought that was, day, uh, we're not getting that to, tomorrow on the course isn't about decisions. Like, no, 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 no. You have to draw the reasonable conclusion yourself. But but there's so much to unpack here. So I, I would kind of uh, I'm interested to see some of the feedback that we get. And you right. know, if you're interested, you know, we can get some feedback, see what people think. And yeah. then maybe there's a specific thing that we could have. Yeah, we want to deep dive some of these if things. You want to come back on. Yeah. And, and really de- start, try to keep it around one topic, which is next to impossible to do. Yeah. When we're getting into this. But again, we can keep bringing it back. So I get this can be overwhelming. I get this, but, but I, I want to tell, and this is a message for the listeners. You're already doing this. You do this every day and you are an expert at it. This is becoming a little bit better at being an expert at it. You do it every day. And if it seems like it's overwhelming, and I'll just pull one maxim or quote out of Zen, this idea of knowledge, the way they tell it is knowledge or all these book knowledge, everything else, knowledge is like a raft that you use to cross the point. But once you cross that point, leave the raft behind on the rest of your journey. There's no sense carrying the raft. So read through these things. Listen to Akoff. Do these other things. Read through them. And then just put it to the side a little bit and just see how your thinking has changed. Don't try to do anything with it. Don't try to solve something. The very act, they say, to sit and say, Zot, you've already achieved the purpose. You're sitting. Eat when you're hungry. Drink when you're thirsty. Sleep when you're tired. Just do it. 15 minutes a day, just do it. And everybody here is disciplined enough to just do something like this, read, think, look at systems differently, do this. And then the other thing too is reach out, have conversations with Brian and Greg, have conversations with me, reach out to all the other folks that are doing this stuff, Vaughn and Mike and and Bill and freaking uh, Chris. And I mean, all the other folks that everybody here knows, uh, Adam and and all the other crews. uh, I saw you had Scott on the other day. Uh, just reach out, have right. the conversations. That's all I would leave it with. No, and I I love that uh, the idea of the leaving leaving knowledge behind. You know, on the on the raft, don't don't bring it with you. You know, Greg, Greg always says that. Yeah, read every book and then put it right back on the shelf. Right, and 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 it's it's don't you you don't carry that around and point to it and say, see here. You know, it's like no no no, read it, absorb it, throw it on the shelf, get another one. Be the healthy like, skeptic, make it yeah. your own. If you don't agree with it, tell me why. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. That great, discourse great. will yeah. get us further. We we came up with the tagline a long time ago, training changes behavior, because it changes the axons and dendrites. It changes the electrochemical neurotransmitters in your brain, the, the mirror neurons when you hear something you like and the, the chemical reaction when you don't. Those are so essential to building your capacity for sense making well, and problem solving. So essential. There's a quote from Akoff. It is much better to do the right thing wrong than to do the wrong thing right. I, and so the thing is, 
and 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 again, I'm not a big fan of right and wrong as in a descriptor because everybody's subject to that. But one of the first things we need to sort of take a step back, a step upstream, is what are you concentrating on? Right. Are you are you more outcome or so? Take a breath and just go upstream, even if it's just a little bit, and just look around metaphorically turn around in 360 and say wow this is an interesting place that's it amen i love it that that's that's a great that's a great spot to end on so i i appreciate your time for coming on here john uh you know thank you so much i appreciate you guys for sharing that with everyone uh folks of course you'll get all in the episode details all john's information in there and, and again you can reach out and thanks everyone for for listening and don't forget that training changes behavior That's all for today, folks, but if you'd like even more content, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link can be found in the episode details. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on social media, and please tell your friends about the show. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you for your support.